welcome to our interview series on brave feminine leadership. I'm thrilled today to have Michelle Windsor join the conversation. Lovely to have you here, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. It's great to be here. Pleasure. So in this series, our tag more secrets. Extraordinary leaders share their journey from good to great. And before we jump into that conversation, I'm just going to touch briefly on your bio, Michelle, so people um, understand your background. So, Michelle, after 30 years in banking, Michelle's joined the RACQ as the Group Executive Banking, and that was in December 2020, to lead RACQ's bank. Michelle was previously the Chief Executive at Bank of Melbourne and has held executive roles in retail banking, business banking, call centres and operations at Bank West, the Commonwealth Bank and Westpac. Michelle holds a Master of Business Administration from Melbourne Business School and is also a graduate of the AICD Company Directors course and a fellow with Fincia. Michelle's passionate about leadership, digital transformation, service excellence and diversity and inclusion and is a strong supporter of women in business and leadership. Michelle dedicates her spare time to supporting others by volunteering with organisations that help the homeless and is passionate about making a difference in the local community. As I said, Michelle, wonderful to have you here. For people in our audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, could I ask you to share with us a little bit about who you are as a human being and a bit about your journey? Sure, Melissa, thank you so much. And thank you for that lovely introduction. So I, I think to, you know, a good way to describe me is that I, 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 I'm a country girl who broke out of the stereotypical model of, a, of being, you know, being the traditional thing that we are expected to be and, and actually moved to the big city. And, you know, that was pretty significant when I was growing up. I think that, you know, I am a, I am a hard worker, I am curious, I am courageous, and I have done things that, you know, over the last 30 odd years that have really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And, you know, one of the things that I often think about is there's been nothing's been handed to me on a silver platter. In fact, there's been lots of things thrown at me that you you would say are in the very difficult basket. So it's uh, yeah, I think that yeah, that's pretty much me. And I've just worked really hard to try and and um, achieve the things that I wanted to achieve. Fantastic. So let's go right back then. So traditional farming family. What were the expectations um, for your future when you were growing up? You know, it was really interesting. I had a lovely, lovely upbringing on the farm, you know, a very outdoor life and very active life. But in terms of career, there were no expectations. In terms of education, there were no expectations. So it was very much, you know, very traditional farming family where, you know, my, the expectation for me was that I would be a wife and a mother. And, and I say to people, they are two of the most favourite things in my life. Yes. But there was a lot more to me that I could actually do. So it was really interesting to, to start with that and, and, you know, to think about breaking out of that sort of cycle and actually, uh, actually you know, I, I was very much very early on in my life and my career, I was very much about proving I could do it because nobody believed I could do it and nobody supported me in doing it. And so it was all about proving it and I had to be the best at everything and, and uh, you know, more to prove it to myself rather than, rather than anybody else. So it was a very, very interesting start and I definitely didn't follow the path that was expected of me. 
Can I ask you, when you talk about that, you know, needing to kind of prove to yourself, um, what did that look like? How did you show up with that kind of mindset? Yeah, so it was, uh, I was, I just, I worked like a, like a Trojan. I just, I just worked so hard to do everything to the absolute best. I thought that I was only successful when I was the best at what I was doing. And it was really interesting. And that meant that I put an awful lot of pressure on myself and I pushed myself really hard to do lots of things. And I just, uh, you know, and I didn't ever think that that was impacting on others because it was just the expectations I had of myself that I just needed to, to keep on pushing through. So, you know, there's a, a lot of learnings over the years that that's not exactly the best model and you can't continue to do that. Yeah, it's so interesting. So we'll get into that in terms of the can't continue. But how did your career get started then? Yeah, so I was, very, I have to say, I was in, incredibly fortunate. So, you know, I was in all of these different roles in, in banking and, and, you know, worked really hard and doing all of these roles. And then I worked with someone and truly was the turning point of my career. He was someone who saw something in me that I didn't know that I had and pushed me to go for things that I never thought I could do. Mm. Uh, that was absolutely, I would call it the turning point in my career. Uh, he, he, he put a job in front of me that I never, ever, on paper, there was no way in a million years that I would have been suitable for this role, but he then supported me, he pushed me, he coached me, and then he helped me to actually be successful at it. And that truly was the turning point because I, I didn't see that I could do those things. I didn't have that belief. And it wasn't until somebody actually really committed their personal time and energy to me that helped me to think, well, actually, maybe there are some things that I could do. So it was a really interesting turning point of, you know, of my career. And, and, and I, you know, that I would say that was the start, you know, despite having 10, 15 years of work before that, that was really the start of, of pushing forward. And that person is still significant in my life and still pushes me and helps me today when you face those challenges that you, you inevitably face in, in business. What, a, what an extraordinary gift to have found someone. Um, and I, I would also suggest probably an extraordinary gift for the person who sponsored and mentored you, the relationship that you've developed. You are absolutely right, Melissa, and it, it, it's so true. It is absolutely a gift. I feel so fortunate to have had someone who cared enough about me to want to invest in me and to support me in that way. Uh, he tells me often that it's a gift for him to have had that opportunity to actually do that, and he gets so much pleasure out of actually doing that himself. And you know, and I and and it's just created for me I have a very strong focus on paying it forward and helping others and making a difference to the lives of those around me because I know the benefit of you know that I have certainly achieved in in having somebody do that for me. Fantastic so and it's it just makes me think of you often hear a conversation around female executives and, and the lack of female executives moving through that females are over-sponsored and sorry over-mentored and under-sponsored. Was this someone who 
you know, in the early days, could they sponsor you? Like, could, were they the person in the room putting your name forward for things? No, they were. They were more a mentor for me. They, okay. Absolutely, there was a there was a difference. They were a mentor. They weren't the sponsor, okay. um, and that was you know it was really interesting over the years to learn the significant difference that you know benefit that you can have on on people in those two key roles. And I agree with you, Melissa. I don't think that we do sponsorship enough uh, in business. I think that there is an opportunity for us to do a lot more in in business around sponsorship. Uh, but yeah, there was it was definitely a mentor into a relationship as opposed to a sponsorship. Okay, so this is your first really big role then that you didn't necessarily think you were uh, were up for and, and got that support to apply for it. When you got into the role, did you, did you have feelings of self-doubt about it? Did you experience what people talk about imposter syndrome? I just saw the eye roll there, so <laughs> yeah, <be> yes. <laughs> oh, so every day, every day, Melissa, I, I absolutely, I really, I honestly felt, what am I doing here? I honestly felt like surely they've made the wrong decision, you know, it, it, am I right to be here? It was so interesting, so uh, so fascinating. It was something I had to fight against all of the time, unfortunately. It was, uh, and that, you know, I think that it's fair to say that that self-doubt and imposter syndrome is not something that goes away. You know, I, it's that little thing on my shoulder all of the time. And, and, you know, even coming into talking to you today, I listen to some of the amazing women that you have interviewed before. And I sit there and go, oh, wow, you know, I'm nothing like them. I've got nothing to, no value to add. So you really, it's just, it's a constant challenge that I think I certainly have to fight against. And I have to be really, really strong in pushing against what it tries to do to you and you know very deliberate I would say around actually addressing it. Now I love that you've been so vulnerable in sharing that um, and it's one of the reasons I started the conversations because there'll be people watching this and they'll be saying Michelle's been the CEO of Bank of Melbourne and she's worried about turning up and having a conversation around uh, around brave feminine leadership. So how do you how do you stop that little voice that that chirps up for all of us? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. I, I think so. I, over the years, I worked on quite a, a quite a good approach. I think to addressing it in myself. So you know, I have a you know, I talked a lot about being a perfectionist and wanting to be the best at everything before. And you, you simply can't do that. And, and that is not a good model. And, and I learned that over the years that that has a significant impact on others. And it sends a very strong message to others that they are never good enough. And so uh, I've had to really work on that over the years and realize that it's about being the best that we can be, but not being the best at everything. And and you know, be presenting and doing, contributing in the best way you possibly can, but not necessarily needing to be the expert at everything to be the best at everything you do. And so I had to really push myself to work on, you know, a bit of a, an approach to deal with it. And I had a, a good reflection approach at the end of each day. And, and I would, uh, I would, you know, had usually had a fairly decent drive home from work in the days that you know we were, we were in the office. 
and 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 you know did a bit of a review of the day but not in a review in a way to tell myself I wasn't good enough a review in a way did I approach that in the best possible way that I could and and if I'm presented with that situation again is there something I would do differently so to learn from that situation and to actually approach that in a slightly different way so that was you know a, a, a bit of a process that I worked through over the years to think about the best possible approach in terms of the self-doubt you know I, I often look at it you know there's a little person who sits on my shoulder here who tries desperately to make me think I'm not good enough and that I am not able to actually do I shouldn't be there and I don't have the right to be there and you know there's a little bit of a a self-dialogue that you have that says a couple of things that you know says that you are good enough you absolutely have the right to be there you know just a few things that I say to myself when I feel that person coming back and trying to to pull me back down and you know and I think just being really comfortable to pause and to be your whole self is you know is so very important in all of that and I am you know as as we've seen in this conversation I'm very comfortable being vulnerable I'm very comfortable very authentic in what I do so I'm not presenting as a person that I need to remember who I am I'm just being myself Okay, so let's go to, to the heart of it and then to the heart of your experiences. Do you think leaders are born or made, Michelle? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And, you know, I think my perspective has actually changed over the years, Melissa. Uh, I personally think that leaders are born. Okay. But I think that like any skill, if you don't work on it, you will lose that skill. And if you don't invest in that, you will lose that strength and you will lose that capability. And, you know, and I think, to be fair, I, I, I never, I don't think I ever thought that. I, I always thought that it was something that it was, you know, leaders are made. But when I, you know, being a mother of, you know, three adult sons that, you know, I actually have seen over the years things that they do that really truly demonstrate leadership strength. But I, and then I reflected on myself and I can see that if you don't continue to invest in your leadership capability, you will absolutely lose that. It's like a muscle. You know, if you don't, if you don't go to the gym and if you don't work on your muscles, you'll lose your muscles. And that's, I firmly believe that leadership is like that. And I firmly believe that if you ever think that you've nailed it, that you've absolutely done it, you, know, you are the best leader that can possibly be, you need to go back and look in the mirror and actually think again, because I just don't think we ever, we are ever there. I think there's always something we can learn. There's always something that you need to grow in and, and actually do better and different. Mm. So you got two moments that really stand out for you as pivotal moments in your career that where you really had to work that leadership muscle? <laughs> uh, I have got so many moments where I had to work that leadership. What will you choose? <laughs> what will I choose? Two moments. Okay, so I think that uh, I think that the first moment is probably, I would call it the very first moment where I took on that role where I just did not think I needed, I had the right to be there. And so I had to do a whole lot of work on that. Would, uh, what I would say is my was my early leadership development. And that was the point where I was really working out 
who I was as a leader and who I wanted to be and why why leadership was important to me and what value I could add. So they were really, that was a really pivotal moment early on in my career. And then I think that the second um, biggest pivotal or most pivotal moment for me was, was, was moving into Bank of Melbourne where I was in the chief executive role and it was it was a much bigger business than what I had led previously. And it was a whole business with a, with, you know, full business bank, private bank, you know, full, full business uh, across the um, business there. And, and I think leading across that full spectrum, it really, really drove home that you need to have the right people around you to lead that business in the best possible way. It's not, you know, you can't you can't be an expert at everything, and you've just got to try and draw out the right questions and really, um, you know, help people to achieve the best outcome in every situation. You know, so your questioning is so so critical in that. So, have there been points along the way where you know you've had to sort of find your voice in certain situations? Um, unfortunately, there's been lots of lots of those, and I think you know I. Um, you know, I'm really lots of situations, Melissa, and I, I have, um, I'm a very values-based leader. I am a very a person who has a very strong view about fairness and equity, about treating people the right way, doing the right thing, and making sure that we are respectful in every situation. And, you know, I've had a long time in business and there were several situations over the years where either people were doing the wrong thing or people were treating people the wrong way. Mm. And, and I just, I couldn't ignore that. And I work firmly on the theory that, you know, the behaviour you walk past is the behaviour you accept. And I just couldn't accept it. And, you know, the first time I really spoke up about something that was just not happening in the right way, I would say it was the most difficult thing that I've ever done. But I just, again, another theory that I have is you've got to be the change you want to see. You know, I can't, I can't walk past that and then, you know, and then say something to somebody else about it. If I'm not prepared to stand up against it, then then I have no right to actually speak about it separately. And so I really pushed myself out of my, very much out of my comfort zone and raised lots of things where people either weren't being treated right or people were doing the wrong thing. And it's been something I would say in the last 10 years that I've really had a strong voice. And, you know, and like I said, I, I, every one of those situations has been very, very challenging. What probably the most challenging things I've faced in my career, but it was very much the right thing to do. And it's incredible the impact when you do that, the impact that has on others. And, you know, when people actually see somebody standing up when something's not right, yeah. uh, that is something that, that, you know, that it just, it really changes it. And, and I've had so many people come and talk to me after I've done those things because, you know, they've seen this these things happening for a long time and they've just considered it totally unacceptable. So never easy, but absolutely right. And we won't go into specifics of these, obviously, but we're talking about things like fraud and bullying, right? So yeah. serious, um, serious issues that you've had to kind of step up and, and use your voice against. Um, okay, so 
Is there a soft skill you think you're still developing at this stage of your leadership? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think that the soft skill is the networking. You know, I, I uh, very, uh, I, I love to go to networking. I love to meet lots of different people, but I always feel uncomfortable, and I have to give myself a really good talking to before I get there about how I'm going to go into that situation. And I, you know, that is something that I, I definitely have to still work on. I would say it's. Uh, I, I, what I love to do, though, and again, a very much a very inclusive person, if I ever walk into an event and I see somebody and I've been at client events where I see somebody standing alone, I will go and talk to them. I find, you know, I never want someone to feel alone. I never want someone to feel like they're on the outer or they're not included in the situation. So that's the approach that I take and really make sure that I go and, and make sure that they feel part of it and that they feel included and know somebody. Now, I wanted to ask you, you will not be on your own, by the way, with networking. So I think it helps <laughs> to know that lots of people are uncomfortable and the more comfortable you can make others feel, um, you know, the easier it becomes. So um, there was a point in your career where you were already in senior executive roles and you made the decision to go and pursue an MBA. What was behind that? Yeah, very. Uh, thank you. It, look, it was a big decision for me. So I had three teenage sons at the time. It was something I'd always wanted to do. I was fortunate that the person I was working for at the time encouraged me to do this and identified that this was going to be something that would be very valuable in the rest of my career. As I continued to progress into senior roles, she identified that this was something that would be really valuable and she supported me with that. So I'm grateful to her for identifying that. It was something I wanted to do, but, you know, again, the courage to actually go back into, into adult learning, you know, at, at that stage of your life is was it was very overwhelming, I have to say. Uh, it was, so I graduated from my MBA in 2017. I did it through Melbourne Business School and we did the, um, the executive, senior executive MBA program. It was the best program and the best way to do it. It was an insane couple of years. It was uh, an intensive program. Um, but it was amazing. And I have used so much from that learning as I've progressed my career. And I am so grateful that I did that. Um, but the, you know, it, it was so interesting. You know, my, my youngest son was going into year 10 and, and I, I really felt like there was a window there before he was in year 12 where I could actually be a bit selfish and actually do something for myself which was not something I was very good at and not something that I ever did, I have to say, but it was, it was, a, it was kind of a window and it was amazing. I had my boys actually tutoring me and coaching me on some of the topics and helping me, which was, really? which was wonderful. It was just fantastic. And, 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 but it was very, very hard, that decision to go in there and the self-doubt that you faced, essentially, you know, especially walking to a room of 45, very, very experienced and, and, uh, you know, very high achieving senior executives, uh, the self-doubt was off the Richter scale for, for that when you first walked in. But again, I'm so grateful grateful to have done it. I'm so grateful to have achieved it. Uh, I have met so many amazing people through it who continue to be great 
uh, friends and colleagues as we work through things. And uh, yeah, it's definitely something I recommend, but I really recommend it later in life. You know, I think having 20 years of business experience under my belt before I did it was so valuable to, you know, be, you know to move into that next stage of your career. And uh, that was something that I definitely would recommend people do. And I guess you've got some tremendous real life experience to to really reflect on in terms of where it could have been useful and practical. It's really interesting listening, Michelle, to, um, and I know a lot of our listeners will feel exactly the same way, but to hear you talk about it was a difficult decision to do something, but you thought you could finally be a little bit selfish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's so interesting to reflect on why do we think it is selfish to to go and do something like that yeah yeah it's amazing isn't it you know I, I definitely something that I have found is you spend your life thinking about others you spend yeah. your life you know whether it's whether it's your family whether it's your children whether it's your you know the team that you are leading you're always thinking about other people and you know it it to, to take that time to really invest in yourself, um, you know, it, it really, I did at the time feel like it was selfish, but it was such, you know, and, and, and I think that's, it's, it's definitely not the right thing to think. There's no doubt, Melissa, and you're absolutely right in your line of questioning because investing in yourself is actually the best thing you can do. And continually investing in yourself will make you a better leader, will make you a better employee, will certainly, you know, make you a, I, I think, make you a better mother, make you a better wife, make you a better partner, whatever it is. Yeah. There's no doubt that all of the things that you achieve through that investment are definitely applicable to everything in life. So it certainly shouldn't be selfish, uh, but and, and I think we should absolutely see it as an investment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not a criticism. It's just a fact, isn't it? That yeah. so many of us feel that way when we try and carve yeah. out time for ourselves that, um, you know, what's what's going to give, what's going to suffer. You talked about um, um, being a perfectionist. And, and I loved how self-aware you were about the fact that that did impact on others around you who felt like they weren't necessarily good enough, as I guess you were pushing to get the best results, best results, best results. What did you have to, you know, in, in the sort of whole scope of your life, not just career, but in terms of working out being a perfectionist wasn't necessarily serving, what did you have to let go of? How did you, how did you let go? Uh, very, very hard. And look, I, you know, I had help identifying that that was not the best approach there's no doubt and I was grateful for you know for people to help me to identify that there are different ways that you can approach things and understanding the impact that you can actually have on others yeah. so I, I think that you it's about actually uh, when you're a, as a leader I think the best thing that you can do is actually try and draw out the great people around you. And, and I've certainly approached leadership with the mastermind theory. Have the best people around you. I'm not the expert at everything, but let me draw out the best experience and knowledge and capability from all of those people that I get the great pleasure to work with as a in a team. So, you know, and I think that's the significant difference for me from being a perfectionist where you think you know everything and you think that you are the person who has all of the answers. Well, 
you know, I had to very, very strongly accept that I didn't know, I didn't have all the answers and I need to draw that from other people and I have the capability to learn. And, and I think that there were several points in my career and probably that pivotal point first off as well, where I moved from different parts of the business that I actually knew nothing about. Yes. And that was fantastic because it puts you into that absolutely out of your comfort zone where I needed to ask great questions. I needed to ask open questions, not, I didn't necessarily have the answer. I needed to actually draw that out from other people. So putting myself in lots of roles over the years where I actually don't know and I'm learning and, you know, there's lots of things that I need to draw from other people. So, uh, you know, it was, it's a bit of the, I, I think the self-talk is a really critical point for, for me and thinking about how am I, what sort of questions am I asking people and how am I impacting others and, and how am I acknowledging everyone else's contribution as well so that it, you know, because it's, and I'm very big on that recognition of, of people's contribution. I even, um, you know, just to, to throw something in from my perspective, I remember when I was CEO, my partner and I swapped roles for a while. So he came home with the kids. We were lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. And my own perfectionist tendencies turned up in, you know, how the house had to look and things yeah. like that. And, um, you know, I just remember one day just thinking to myself, just be grateful that you're not having to do this stuff. Like, you know, it's done differently. So what? Move yes. on. Um, yeah. But it does, that, that whole perfectionist control thing is, um, is interesting. I'm not a psychologist and neither are you, so we'll leave it to someone else to analyse. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Melissa, and I think my, my learning of that is, um, you know, I, it, it, it's about accepting because I was exactly the same. I was working a lot. I was away a lot. I was travelling a lot. And, you know, if I came home and, you know, one of the big learnings for me was if, if I came home and things weren't done to the standard that I thought that, um, that they should have been done, then if I'm not prepared to go and do it myself, then I need to just, you know, accept that it's done and it's fine and everyone's okay and everyone's happy and healthy. And, you know, I, so, you know, my husband and I had to go through, you know, a whole, a whole learning program there, just like you by the sound of it. And, you know, and that was, that was fascinating to work through, but I, um, yeah, we really got to challenge the challenge our perspectives on that. I like what you said about uh, needing to pull on, you know, a, a mastermind of, of people around you. Uh, one of the things I think is, you know how people say it takes a village to raise children. Yep. I think it takes a village to raise a leader um, and it takes a village to support a CEO. Yep. So, you know, I just wonder in your time as CEO, what did that village look like? Yeah, there's absolutely it takes a village and I totally agree with you. And I think that we come across people in our career who are so special to us and who make such a difference to us individually. And, um, and you know, you've got to have... You've got to have those people who really challenge you, who really are very prepared to be honest with you, very prepared to say to you, you know, this is actually a different way to approach that. Maybe you should think about this. You've got to have those people around you and you don't want a team of, of yes people around you who just say you're amazing and you've got nothing to work on. You actually need those people who are going to say to you, well, actually, 
you know, let's just talk about that situation. Did we approach that in the best possible way? Yeah. So I, you know, over the years, there's no doubt I have got some, a, a whole range of very special people from men to women to everyone who have been absolutely critical to me. And one of the things that I've been really prepared to do is ask for that feedback and, and listen and accept that feedback and, and have a very strong focus on learning and growing because that for me is is that's when you are you know when you're at when you're feeling uncomfortable is when you're truly growing and that's what you I think you've got to be prepared to do. Did you have strong female role models along the way? I certainly did. Uh, so earlier on in my career, it was probably more the male role models. There's no doubt. Um, there's definitely some significant women in my life in the in probably the last 15 years who have been very significant and great supporters for me. Uh, but and and so yeah, now I have this wonderful balance, uh, you know, of people in that network that that I absolutely feel comfortable to call on. Brilliant. Did you ever run up against any of the sort of so-called double binds that women face along their career in terms of, you know, too soft, too hard, um, you know, never just right or bossy yes. versus assertive? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. D, all of the above. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, earlier in my career, uh, um, be, be, before I worked on my perfectionistic tendencies, I I was probably too assertive and I was probably, you know, I felt like I was being brave by saying the things that were on everyone's minds. And then I worked out, well, there's actually a different way you could say that to achieve a better outcome. And so I worked through all of that over the years. But one other thing, like I'm really, you know, what you see is what you get. There's nothing hidden with me. I am very genuine, very authentic, very real, very down to earth. Don't believe in hierarchy. I'm absolutely, you know, I want, I, I'm, I'm in the trenches working with everybody. I think that if I'm not prepared to do something, then then I shouldn't ask my people to do it. And, you know, so I, I'm very real and genuine and very comfortable with that. Um, feel like you should never be concerned about, you know, who are you coming to talk to today? You should always know that the way that I'm communicating with you will always be the same as, as yes. you know, any time. So, you know, over the years, being, you know, um, caring about people, being, you know, being genuine, being uh, feminine, being, you know, probably soft people definitely had that question of do you have the, do you have the actual capability to do the tough things? So, you know, I, it's, um, yeah, but I think, and what was really important to me over the years was to be truly, truly be who I wanted to be and to be the person that I really am so that nobody had any questions about who they were going to approach. So uh, there's no doubt I felt like I, in many situations I was, you know, Robinson Crusoe, I was the only person who was who was like that. And, um, and but, I, you know, as I've continued to learn and grow over the years, there's, you know, I think that's just I've continued to develop in ways that I know that I can make a, be, a greater impact and help others. Michelle, why do you think, you know, I'm still still puzzled. It's the reason I started all of this in terms of all these conversations and questions. We're just not seeing the cut through of females getting into those top executive roles and top CEO roles. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think we, you know, my personal view and, I, you know, again, I, I, I have because of all of the different things that I've faced, you know, we create environments sometimes in business that, 
I just don't think are very conducive to everyone. There is no doubt that, you know, certainly, and I only speak from my experience that, you know, women sometimes feel a greater sense of responsibility in different situations and things that they have to do. And we have to create environments in business that support women to continue to achieve their potential, but to get achieve all that they want to achieve. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, it, there's, you know, we still do have children. We still have babies, right? That is a fact that we will never change. And we need to support women through that and make sure that we create the environments that help them to come back and to continue to achieve their potential as they're still as they're still doing, you know, doing having children if that's what they would like to do. And I just don't think that we think about those things all the time. You know, it's the simple things like, you know, the times that you have meetings, actually making sure women stay connected when they're when they're on you know paternity leave there's all of the things that we do I think we are still working on that I am so grateful to work with some of the most amazing young women in my business here and feel so fortunate to have the opportunity to bring those those women through and to actually support them and you know we've just got to be really really conscious of this into the future to make sure that we actually sponsor these women and that we support them and that we help them to achieve their potential in whatever path they choose to 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 progress through now i know you and i share a similar experience in terms of um, volunteering at one stage to sell the big issue um, with one of the vendors what did you take away from that experience yeah, it was, it was the most humbling experience that I've been part of. You know, my, my family and I have spent several Christmases um, serving food for the homeless. And we do that because we're fortunate and we wanted to give back and we wanted to help others and we wanted to make it a Christmas a special day for, for a lot of other people. And that was such a humbling experience. The big, the big issue was was fascinating. I have to say it was absolutely fascinating. So I did it in Collins Street in in Melbourne, and uh, you know I was dressed in in the with the big big issue vest, and you're trying you're there, whereas people are walking to work. People actually walked around to try and avoid you. They actually stepped away. They looked down. They don't look at you. And I was, I was quite distressed actually by the end of it and I was doing my absolute best to get them to actually come and look at me and come and talk to me and buy and, and understand I'm a human being and, 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 I need, and every person who's selling the big issue needs respect and you should be really kind and gentle to them. And there, it was really fascinating the way people responded. And it was an eye-opener for me. But I've never, ever treated people with disrespect. And yeah. I was really blown away by how people really avoided you and stepped away and did everything in their power not to. And then there were other people who were just walking up and and so amazing and they were buying, you know, a, a whole lot of a half a dozen versions to put in, in the office. And I just... Uh, yeah, it was really fascinating. And uh, my takeaway was don't ever treat anyone with disrespect and make and really understand that there's a person there and they're just trying to do something to make a, a, a few dollars. And seriously, uh, always, even if you can't buy that day, that's okay. 
look them in the eye and say, good morning, good afternoon, how are you? No, thank you today, right? It's not that hard to be kind to people and, and I think we need to do that a lot more. So I wanted to ask the final question I ask of everybody, Michelle, which is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change? Uh, and good on you, Melissa, for the series that you do and the work you do with these interviews as well. I think it's amazing to hear from so many people. Um, so um, brave feminine leadership for me is about is 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 about being authentic and genuine. It's about being yourself. It's about being confident in your contribution. It's about standing up and being counted and knowing that your perspective is, is important and worth sharing. And, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, we support other people. Um, I, I think that don't feel like, you know, the important thing I think about you know, brave feminine leadership is not is about not trying to be someone else. Don't think that you need to be this type of person or you need to be this person. You need to continue to learn and grow. All of us need to continue to learn and grow. But no, we don't want a cookie cutter approach where every woman looks like this or every man looks like this. We actually want people to be independent and individual and we want them to bring their whole self and be comfortable being, bringing their whole self to work. I think we need to do a lot more in bringing women through and supporting women to actually achieve that potential and to be comfortable with that. And, you know, sometimes these conversations are really powerful for that because there's a, you know, a lot of women who I, I work with who go, oh, I just, you know, they just assume that, you know, it, you, you, it, it was easy for you or you never faced any of those challenges. And I think, as you said earlier, Melissa, it, it's about understanding that, we all face those challenges. We face those challenges every day. And we've got to help people to actually work through that because you're going to face them, but how do we actually bring people through? So that would be the big thing for me. Fantastic. Michelle, I'm so glad you joined our conversation. Thank you for being part of the Brave Feminine Leadership Conversations. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for the opportunity to be part of it.